the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When I think about what God did for me, when I think about what I deserve, and yet I get heaven, and I get the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I get the joy of the Lord, man, wow. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Glad that you're here. Makes it a little more enjoyable when we're both here. I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, just a moment, we'll begin in verse 21. First, uh, I would like you to just be aware of what I've been up to this week. Since we last met last week... Pastor Eliel, Pastor Lucas, and myself were in Honduras, and we had the privilege of encouraging about 140 pastors from across that whole country. Now, here's what's neat. We've been doing that for about 13 years. And so since 2011, we've had the opportunity to go and to make a difference there in that country. And uh, we call that ministry the Barnabas Effect because like Barnabas, we recognize that we can have greater impact, a multiplication of our impact by uh, encouraging and equipping church leaders to make a difference right where they are. And so it's so encouraging just to see, even in this troubled country, how God's at work. One of the stories I love the most was this family that came up to me. This guy came and said, I was here at your your first meeting, and then I came back when you had a, a time where we brought the husbands and wives together, and my wife came. And when she came, our little girl uh, was just in her belly. And I've been coming ever since, but I wanted you to see our little girl. And she's nine years old, and so what a joy it was. You're making a difference, even when you don't know it, not only across the street, but around the world. So I'm grateful to be a part of, of what you're doing. Amen. It's good. I also want to take just a moment and speak about what's taking place in the Middle East. I want to remind you that when we sing, the king is in the room. What we're saying is that our God is sovereign. So he's never caught off guard by the circumstances of our lives or the events of this world. We shouldn't be caught off guard too much either, frankly. We have the book that shows us kind of how things are going. 
And what's taking place has been taking place for thousands of years in that region of the world. These groups of folks have not been getting along. What's happened is kind of an escalation in their inability to get along. And it all is deriving from a problem that's stemming from the heart. That's what Jesus is about to speak to us about in just a moment. But we are commanded, as Pastor Zach said in, in Scripture, in Psalms 122, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We feel a special connection with the people of God there uh, because we know that in his story, they were the chosen ones. We also know, as Pastor Zach said, that there are Christ followers in that region of the world that's known as Palestine. Many of the people in this immediate community come from that area. So I want you to be aware that probably uh, there are some of our neighbors who may have family members who are suffering in this. And so we as followers of Christ really want to demonstrate the difference that we know Jesus brings. And so let's pray to that end even again once more. Father, man, it's kind of overwhelming just all that we've sung about you today. Um, you're worthy of our praise. You're the king who's in the room. You're the one that showed us mercy. You are Jesus. And God, as I stand before you now for a second time in this very place, I, I just want to acknowledge, not only for me, but for none of us here, do we need just another, just another check that we came to a service. We need to encounter you. In fact, Lord, that's what our world needs. Our world needs to encounter you. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for peace in the Middle East. And God, we know that only you can bring about that peace. Lord, we pray for those that are mourning the atrocities that we saw yesterday, that continue today. Lord, they derive from the pit of hell. We recognize that. And we know that only you can reconcile that. So, Lord, we pray you'd bring comfort to those who are mourning because you are the God of all comfort. We pray that you give wisdom to leaders. And we pray that your justice would reign true all over this earth. Because, God, we acknowledge that what's going on there is a reflection of the war that's at, taking place in our heart. There's a battle that's raging. The, the sinful us uh, up against the peace of God. So, Lord, we, we just ask now that as we move into this time of your word, that, that you'd give us what we need that we don't have, that you would teach us new and different things from your truth today, and God, that we'd walk away different. Lord, it's expected that some have gathered here who are not currently reconciled with you through Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Now, Father, once more, I'm just going to ask that the words I say and even my thoughts would please you because you are my strength and you're my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten really angry? Have you ever been so upset that you just think of another person and you say, you make me so mad. 
Or maybe in the culture that I was growing up in, you had a phrase like this. We would say, you make my blood boil. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to that, I, I, I want to take you back to where we've been. The greatest preacher who's ever preached, Jesus, was preaching the greatest sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with that group of sayings we call the Beatitude. He then tells us to be salt, season the earth, light, shine in the earth. Then he speaks about something that even those who follow God today still struggle with. The balance between law and grace. You hear it this way. Sometimes a Christ follower will say, well, now we live in the age of grace. And to that, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And, and Jesus was reminding us that he had a very high view of scripture. And so we call ourselves Christ followers. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we want to have a high view of scripture. We want to believe in the sufficiency of God's word. We believe that it's true and it's perfect and it has impact in our lives. Jesus also set a standard in that part of his sermon. He says in Matthew 5 verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we hear that and we think, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble because I know I'm not that righteous. What, I'm go what am I going to do? And then we begin to realize the whole point of Jesus's message is that he was telling us we can't do this without him. We can't live this life without what we now know is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees is, is through the life of a perfect person. And that's who Jesus is. So our only hope is to trust in him. By the way, when Jesus gives us that view of scripture, he reminds us of the importance of knowing God's word. And so I challenged you a couple weeks ago. Do you remember? I challenged you to memorize a verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. So we're going to say it together, whether you've got it by memory or not. I know a few of you have, because a few of you have come up to me and you've said it. I'm so proud of you. Remember, we say the reference first, then we say the verse and say the reference again. So let's say it together. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm trying to encourage you to plant God's word in your heart because the Bible says if I hide God's word in my heart, it'll help me with the sin burdens of life. Now, today's Jesus continuing the sermon. He, he gives us this series of statements that we call the antithesis because they're, they're different from the way that we typically think. He, he's going to begin this way. You have heard it said, and then he's going to say, but I tell you, He's challenging the thinking of religious people. And that really is something that should happen every time we come together in a space like this. You, you really should be challenged as you look into God's Word and, and you begin to ask yourself, am I thinking about this in the right way? And Jesus does this by distinguishing the difference between the way he lives and he wants his followers to live from the way that the religious leaders, the Pharisees live. They were concerned most about the external, the actions. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware that I'm looking at the internal, the attitudes. And so maybe just a quick reminder for you, Jesus isn't really too impressed with your checklist, right? 
Some of you, you need to hear that again. Jesus is not impressed with our checklist. I mean, you feel good about yourself because you're thinking, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I mean, you've got your checklist, whatever they are. I go to church, I read my Bible, I put something in the offering plate, and you think, booyah, I've got it. I mean, I'm, I'm good with God because of that. But what Jesus is really drilling down on here is he's saying, I'm not so concerned with your checklist. I'm looking at your heart. And in doing this, he begins by addressing something we all have, relationships. We see Jesus reminding us of the importance of healthy relationships. And the the reason makes sense is because Scripture teaches that you can't have a right relationship with God if you don't have a right relationship with others. And right there, I should be checking in with some of you because you know this. All of us who have lived more than a few days, we know this. We know that when we're not right with other people, it makes it even hard to sit in a room like this. We don't sing with joy. We don't pray with intensity. And when we hear God's word, we squirm and we we just can't receive it because we were made for a relationship. And so that's why when anger begins to consume us and our blood begins to boil and we think we're the Hulk and we say, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. (laughs) We realize that this is a problem. So if you've ever been angry, you've ever struggled in relationships, you probably want to tune in to the words of Jesus when he said in verse 21, Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago... You shall not murder. Now let's take a time out and have a quiz. What's he referring to? The Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. I mean, this was not tricky. Jesus was saying, you've heard it was said long ago. He's saying, you all know this. This is number six, the sixth command. Thou shalt not murder. You heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And just imagine the Pharisees, that was an amen moment. Now, I have to tell you, our first service, which is frankly much smaller, they have a lot of amen moments. You guys, you're kind of quiet. You're kind of like the frozen chosen, but that's okay. But Jesus was gathering with religious leaders, and I think this is what happened. You heard it said long ago, you shall not murder. And that's when they said, amen. But I tell you, Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift 
at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. The Bible has a lot to say about how anger, this natural emotion, affects our relationship. Just listen to a few of the examples. Psalms 37, 8. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. We could go on and on and on, but the Bible also illustrates that maybe anger is not always a sin. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Man, what a great verse. What a great principle there at the end. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Kimberly and I have been married 30 years, and we've tried to practice that. We try not to go to bed angry. And so there's been some nights we've stayed up all night. And so, (laughs) but, but the reality, what a great principle. But did you notice the first part? In your anger, do not sin. So apparently, there can be an anger which is not sinful. What do we in the church call that? We call it a a righteous anger. I know a few of you would have that, a righteous anger. What is righteous anger? Well, we, we see that when Jesus is in the temple. Now, listen to that story. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. And and he said, it is written. He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And man, us church people, we like, yeah, righteous anger. Way to go, Jesus. And and, and here's how we've applied that. I know, because I get the angry emails. Anytime we sell a devotional or, or we sell a ticket to a spaghetti dinner, they're like, you should not be selling in the church. You're making the house of prayer a den of robbers. But that's not what was going on. In fact, here's what I know. There was supposed to be selling outside of the temple. You know why? That's how God had planned it. So if you read in the Old Testament, you would see that they were to set up out there to sell doves and and to sell sheep and lambs and sell goats. and you, you see, that was part of the sacrificial system. So that, that's not what Jesus was upset about. What was he upset about? Well, for one, they were exploiting the people. So like I think some people that are, are, are not of God still do today, they took advantage of the opportunity and were, were charging more than they should have charged for that. And so the, the people that were coming to worship were being exploited. These people who were created in the image of God and, and were there uh, to, to worship the Lord, they were being taken advantage of. And, and Jesus never likes it when, when he is being dishonored by his creator, his creation being dishonored. But there's more to the story. We know that this was taking place in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, we could have a whole study on the temple, and maybe we'll do that one day. That's not today. But, but let me just remind you that the temple had different sections. So, for example, you could go to the Holy of Holies, 
Well, actually, you couldn't go, and I couldn't go. One person could go. The high priest could go to the Holy Holy. And he could only go once a year. And when he went once a year, they would tie a rope around his ankle. You know why? Because in case he got struck dead when he walked in there, they could pull his body out. But, but there's a part of the temple where the most religious people could go, the, the Pharisees. Then there's another part of the temple where kind of the religious people could go. And then there's a part of the outside of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where folks like me who grew up in Hartsville, South Carolina could go. I mean, the rednecks. I mean, that, that's where we could You, too, the Gentiles, unless you're of Jewish heritage. It's the court of the Gentiles. Why was there a court of the Gentiles? Don't miss this. Because from the beginning, God has been about bringing all people to himself. That was always the plan. That's why the law and the prophets are still important. Because God was always pointing to Jesus. He was pointing the way. And so Jesus walks in, and there in the court of the Gentiles, not only were they taking advantage of people... But they were keeping the Gentiles from being able to worship the God they came to worship. And Jesus, he threw a fit. He was righteously angry. And he quoted this verse, Isaiah 56, 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know what I've learned? That same thing still angers God. Churches all across our land are closing their doors because insiders like us are keeping the outsiders from getting to God. The same thing that was happening there in the court of the Gentiles. Those people who wanted to come worship God couldn't because the religious insiders were taking advantage. And the way that looks today is we say, hey, we're going we're to do it our way. We will not be moved. We're not going to change. It's always been this way. And we're keeping those who desperately need the gospel of grace out of the walls of places like this. And I'm confident that still makes God angry. And I would tell you it's okay still to get angry at the things that rob God of his rightful glory, that keep people from coming to Jesus. A recent study was done of young non-Christians. It asks them about their interactions with Christians. 84% of young non-Christians say they knew a Christian personally. And yet only 15% of those non-Christians said that professing Christians' lifestyle was any different than theirs. That their lifestyle was noticeable. That should make us angry. I like what someone said, anger is the backbone of the moral man. We should be angry about sin. We live in a world that has lost its moral indignation. We don't get mad about the things that make God mad. We don't get sad about the things that make God sad. We should be angry about the taking of unborn lives. We should be angry about the mutilation of children. We should be angry about human trafficking. We should be angry when the least of these are not cared for. We should be angry when there are two or 3,000 orphans that don't have homes just in Hillsborough County. Things like this should make us angry. But I think we overuse this in the church. 
And I think that idea of righteous anger has become an excuse. And people like me through the years have said, well, that's just kind of the way I am. I just get mad easily. I, I get righteously angry. Could, could you imagine putting that word righteous in front of anything else that Jesus calls sin? Well, I'm not greedy. That was just righteous greed. I'm not lusting. That was just righteous lust. Try that one. See how it works for you. We'll talk about that next week. No, Jesus was saying, hey, there is a time to be angry. There is a time to be mad. But most of us, we're angry at the wrong time in the wrong way. For most of us, anger is a sin because our motives are wrong. Overall, overall scripture is clear. And we hear it from the, the half-brother of Jesus. James is now pastor of the church at Jerusalem, but he doesn't even believe Jesus is the Messiah until after the resurrection. But listen to what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to what? To become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You think maybe he's remembering this sermon that he stood in the kind of the outlier listening to the Sermon on the Mount. And he remembered the words of Jesus where he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. And James is saying, listen, anger is never going to produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. The Bible mentions anger more than 200 times. We know some of the consequences of anger. It raises our heart rate. It increases our blood pressure. It clouds brain function. The adrenaline in our bloodstream that it causes can cause cardiac arrest. It can increase the chance of stroke by 50%. It lowers the immune system and it shortens life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.